My name is Marie Gervais, and I'm the host of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast, where culture, communication, and context meet in the workplace. Discover what cultural influences have formed the careers of noteworthy leaders from around the world in a variety of professions by exploring the groups that shaped who they are today. Hello, Culture and Leadership Connections listeners. Today, I'm really happy to present to you Dane Espegard, who is the founder of the Dream Systems, LLC, and he's the division manager at Vector Marketing. He's a trainer of management, leadership, and sales. He develops professionals, and he's also a culture creator who helps people to create the culture that will help them achieve their dreams. He is a Hall of Fame member of Cutco Vector and has been a number one producer in Vector Marketing and Manager in all of Cutco in the past two years. If you don't know what Cutco is, it is a knife company that is dependent on people selling door to door and then following up and continuing sales on value added later. Dane has trained thousands of sales representatives and managed over 61 million worth of Cutco sales, which is very impressive. Dane is also a culture consultant who teaches, assists, and executes the implementation of a culture centered around dream achieving, the system that is bottom up and puts the emphasis on the development and personal life of the team member. He works with companies in a simple manner to get the culture started and leaves them with some easy to implement steps. He has a book which he authored called The Dream Machine, A Leader's Guide to Creating Teams of High Performers Who Achieve Extraordinary Outcomes. And you can get a free copy, in fact, which will be in the show notes. So you can, it's book by daneespegard.com slash free gift. So, Dana, I'm really, really excited to interview you today and welcome to the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the conversation, Marie. And I don't know if I told you this when we first met, but I have an interest in Cutco because my second son, that was his first job as a Cutco salesperson. So it was really interesting for me to watch his progress and the way his manager interacted with him. And it was a really interesting process and interesting to see how he responded to it. So I have that little background and gave me an introduction to the world of Cutco a number of years ago. I love that. And I started with the company as an 18-year-old right out of high school. And it's where I got you know, all of my education in the business world and, and sales experience and, and really fell in love with the culture there. That's great. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are personally. So what's that personal connection from you? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm happily married to my wife, Brooklyn, and we've got two uh, wonderful little uh, girls and almost six years old, a daughter named Elin, and then uh, another daughter, Izzy, who just turned four. And so we just relocated our family from outside of the Twin Cities to down in Austin, Texas this last January. So everything is new right now. And our family is all about pets and adventure and, you know, really kind of embodying the, the whole dreams concept, trying to expose our girls to as many cool experiences as possible. But that's what I do at home. And for work, I've been with the same direct sales company, Cutco and Vector for 20 years now. I just had my 20 year anniversary with Cutco and never thought that I'd be here for 20 years, but I've really enjoyed the company, the culture and the people. And then um, most recently, I came out with a book that I um, talk about the culture that we've created within our team at Cotco, which is centered around dreams and just kind of helping people connect their day-to-day activity with, you know, what they want for their tomorrow. So that's a little bit about me personally. So thanks for telling us about you and a little bit about your life and your young family. Sounds like you're a family that's just at the horizon of doing some very exciting things and moving together as a group into the dream of your lives. 
So can you tell us a little bit about your childhood, a couple of incidents that stood out for you that you believe made you into the person that you are today? Yeah, I was thinking about that question. And one that came to mind was growing up in a family of, you know, I'm going to call it entrepreneurs. They talked a lot about business and I got to, I got the opportunity at a young age to see my parents open up and specifically my mom open up their own small business as a daycare in Lincoln, Nebraska. And it wasn't just like an in-home daycare. It was pretty large. I got to see them open the doors to one location and then grow and exceed into the neighboring building. And they had over 200 kids. And my mom built that basically over the span of about four or five years. And then we moved. But getting the opportunity to see entrepreneurship up close, right? Seeing them work hard, seeing the exciting things, also being aware of some of the arguments, but just you know, being able to have the, a front row seat for that was, was really exciting. And I also think about when I was there as a young kid, I was in elementary school, but I spent my mornings and afternoons afternoons typically at the daycare with the younger kids. And so I was able to you know, always be helping out and uh, interacting with kids of all different types, different classroom sizes, different ages. And so I think that helped with a lot of my you know, social experiences growing up was you know, being a part of that as well. Yeah. I have this theory that young people who interact with children and with seniors end up being much better leaders. I can see that. I think empathy right, is a big thing that was I don't know if it necessarily taught is the right word, but empathy was gained from from interacting with people of younger ages, even though I was at a younger age as well, just being able to see like, hey, I could be helpful in this situation and look at these, you know, everybody's coming from a different situation with parents and everything as well. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It allows you to step up and be of service because you're a little bit older than those other kids and to see yourself already as being someone who has resources and who has capacity and who can help others to stay safe, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then with my parents too, it was my dad was always the business person. And so it was great. He was in you know, sales for, for pretty much his entire life. But to be to see my mom go from stay-at-home mom, you know, and kind of like rip that identity off and go straight into I'm going to, you know, open up my own business and then it just grew like wildfire. It was really neat to be able to see her in a different light than than what I had to up to that point in my life. Yeah, that must have influenced you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, and I cite this in the book to a lot of when I think about living the life of your dreams, you know, part of it was from a young age of my mom talking about anything is possible. And, and that was an example where I got to see her go out and do something great. Mm-hmm. So that was your childhood. What about as an adolescent? Can you think of an incident, a story that stands out for you as being formative? So I, I was always involved in a lot of activities when I think about you know, let's call it middle education, like uh, eighth grade around there to high school. I was always trying to be involved with as much as possible. And I feel that when I got my first job out of high school, I worked at McDonald's, like a lot of youth growing up. And then when I turned 18 and had the opportunity, one of the most formidable experiences for me was having that first Cutco experience. And the thing that I think was most impactful for me, it was the first time that I actually got a very organized approach to personal growth. And so I think that I've always leaned that way with the way that my mom and dad raised me. But then being able to be at an organization where they regularly talked about being your best self, progress, not perfection, and certain things like that. And then also dealing with rejection. Those were things that I think were really important at that stage in my life where I was trying to figure out who I was to recognize that you know who I am right at that moment wasn't who I was going to be in the future. So that's a nice general introduction to the idea. But I'm wondering if you can think of a specific incident. So if I'm trying to kind of like look under the hood of that experience there, I'd probably say our first big sales contest. My parents weren't over the moon excited 
about me coming home and telling them I got a job selling knives. Cause that's obviously a little, a little, you know, a little different, a little weird. And so they weren't, they were supportive with so many things in my life. But when I came home and told them I was doing this, that was definitely one that they were like, you're doing what? And so with my first sales contest there, being able to utilize, I'm not going to call it disbelief, but my parents definitely didn't have the belief of you can go and do this. And so I think it was important for me to see, hey, trust your gut, trust your own intuition. And I went out and was able to... And at this point, you know, these numbers aren't necessarily relevant today, but I remember selling 7000 dollars of product in two weeks. And you know, I worked every single day at it. I was up early making phone calls at home. And a lot of it was kind of utilizing the chip on my shoulder, if you will, of mom and dad saying, I don't know if you can do this. And then watching them come around and say, well, you proved us wrong. You can do this. And that to me was a really neat experience. And I've seen that pop up in my life numerous times of you know not necessarily needing to hear positive affirmation by other people, just knowing that hearing it later is even more rewarding being able to say, I've earned this. Well, when people don't believe in you, you say, I'm going to prove you wrong. And that mm-hmm. gives you a personal challenge. And so that's uh, something that you noticed about yourself, that that challenge to prove that you could do something was strong yeah. for you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a great story. So we're all born into a region, we're born into a culture, into a racial group. There's often a religious influence, whether we are practicing or not, still Mm -hmm. is in the area uh, and has an influence for us and language. Uh, All those kinds of things influence who we are. So from the groups that you were born into, what would you say has influenced your sense of culture and self as a leader now? So when I was thinking about that, what was interesting is I didn't go to where I was born, right? And and I understood the question being like, obviously, I was born into certain subsets I never chose, right? In terms of like, where was I born geographically and you know the ethnicity of our family and that type of thing. But when I thought about that, what I went to first though is actually almost the like socioeconomic place where our family was. And that's what came to mind first. And I was born into, you know, middle class is the way that I would classify. And we were surrounded by middle class. And I was born in Crookston, Minnesota, a really small town, but my family pretty quickly thereafter was moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. And that's where I was until I was about 12. So I really think of my you know, when I think of where was I born, I, I more associate that to Lincoln, Nebraska. And at that time, we lived in a part of town that was middle class, a lot of young families. And so what I felt wasn't a hunger of, oh my gosh, you know, we have to be able to provide for the family, but it was more of a hunger out of to the next level. And you might call that from privilege because, you know, the, our family's bills were, were, we were comfortable, right? Things were able to be taken care of. But I definitely felt from my family and some of the families that we grew up with of this desire to scale up, right? Of here's where we're at, but we want to get to here type of thing. That's one thing that I can think of when it comes to like the groups or parts that I was born into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Yeah, at that time, I also feel like I just remembered like sports wasn't a choice. I didn't feel like, and I think a lot of it also had to do with the, where I was at in that respective city. The public schools were really good. Everybody went to public school, and it was just very normal that every single kid was going to be involved in a different sport at different season. And so I feel like I was shuffled into a lot of different physical activities that I was surrounded by other students and teams in in those settings. And I'm really glad that that was the case, but I can imagine being born in a different area or different socioeconomic class. That's not something that necessarily would be experienced. But for me, that was kind of able to determine my ability to like work well with others right to be competitive to you know focus on on where what's my role in this team at this moment like what do they need from me like those types of things yeah to see yourself as a part of a team mm-hmm. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that you have a role to play within that team and then paying attention to the dynamics. I think that for sure you would have experienced those things. Yeah, absolutely. So what about groups you chose to belong to? Because afterwards you grow up, you chose to belong to Cutco, but there are other hobbies or maybe you learned another language. What changes in your life affected belonging to a group? There's one that's more recent that's been the last five years of my life. I'm a member of a group that's called Front Row Dads. Mm -hmm. And the tagline of the group is family men who own businesses instead of businessmen who have families. Interesting. Yeah. And so for me, like a lot of my recent identity and and how I gauge my progress as a man, as a father, as a husband is really based on that group. And so I pay a membership to be a part of this group. And when I was thinking about, I'm a firm believer that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And so for me, you know, I've been at that organization of Vector Marketing. That's another one that I've chose to belong to, but I've been in that organization for 20 plus years. And, you know, you go through this maturation process of being the, the new person in the team and not really having a lot to offer, but a lot to gain in kind of working my way through the ranks, if you will, at that company into where I'm now the one that's teaching far more often than not. And so I was needing a next step for me of, hey, if I'm going to keep growing, I need to be around people who are really going to challenge me. And for me, that was the group that I found at Front Row Dads. I had some friends that had joined the group prior to my wife and I having our first child. And I really respected those individuals. And so after having our first daughter, I went to a retreat with that group and it was everything that I didn't know I needed at the time. And so when I went to the event, it was a kind of a punch in the gut where it was, I felt like I had so many things figured out. And then I was around this group of at the retreat, it was like 40 guys that were there. And I definitely felt this, wow, these guys are living life completely different than what I have been. I have a lot that I can learn. And so it was a low moment, but high moment in terms of giving me a lot of hope and energy for the next you know, six months, 12 months. What I could do to come pour into myself to grow. What did you see as being the main differences between you and those other men? That they asked better questions. So, you know, I feel like it was really easy for me to find myself kind of just in my lane, doing well, you know, with my career, the company I was working at financially, like things were all seemed like they were pretty good. But what I had done was essentially stopped asking myself questions that would lead me to discovering my next chapter. And when I was around these guys, it was just meeting people and then having them ask me questions that I haven't necessarily been asked in a regular basis of, Hey, how do you feel your energy is on a day-to-day basis? How are you doing on a scale of one to 10 as an intentional father? Hey, have you thought about you know what you can do to tap into your and, and really pour gasoline on your your child's strengths, right? To really help them uh, to develop those more. And so I felt like prior to that, I don't know how intentional I was with the actions that I was going to take as a father or a husband. And through this group, I've been able to see that if I approach my relationships and my role as a father and a husband with the same intentionality that I approach my business with, that I'm going to be able to you know, have the things that I normally would desire as a young person, which is a really engaged and passionate marriage, right? And a really engaged and, and intentional father. And so I think it's easy just to kind of like be a dad and and not necessarily be intentional about what I'm trying to do with with my children and just kind of like show up and assume that my presence is enough. That presence is just conditioned by what you've experienced and your unconscious mm-hmm. biases and your own drives. And it can be not that helpful for your children until you become conscious of who you are. 
Sounds yeah. like you grew forward in some self-awareness that you didn't have before. A hundred percent. And then it's also with that, it's like, what I love is that there's dads that are different stages of fatherhood. In other words, hey, this guy over here has been married in 15 years and his kids are uh, young teens, right? And then my kids are younger. So I'm able to kind of like see some of the challenges and hear about them before I'm going to get there. And so that I have maybe a little bit more perspective for what's ahead and how to do some things with my children at a young age to prepare them better for some of the more challenging times. That's right? brilliant. And so yeah. with Front Row Dads, I feel like one of the big things I've gotten from that is that I don't need to always have the answers. I just need to make sure that I'm always asking better questions. And that mm-hmm. with Front Row Dads, the guy who founded the group, he did it because he wanted to be a better dad. It wasn't because he was an expert. So his idea was if I can get some amazing guys together, the answers will be within that group. The genius will be in the group. One person's not going to have the answers, but we can all learn from each other's mistakes and experiences. Yeah. The wisdom of the group and the humility to learn from each other. Yes, absolutely. So how has that affected your leadership style? So I didn't join it for a business, you know, for the idea of, you know, leading more at work, but it's definitely had massive ramifications at work. And one of the things I'll say is I definitely led in the past more as the expert or as the authority. Hey, I have the answers. I've done this, do this, right? And what I've gained from being a part of this group is that, hey, even if somebody is newer, they still have some great stuff to add. So I have definitely changed or evolved some of my leadership style to be more, how can I get and hear more of the voices of the people on the team instead of just having it be the me show the entire time. So important. Are you seeing better results from that new approach? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the growth with my specific team that I'm in charge of has been uh, pretty extraordinary over the last three, four years. That's great. That's really good. I'm happy to hear that this kind of a group exists, Front Row Dads. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that many young fathers now are taking their responsibilities as husbands and partners and as fathers so much more seriously now. And sometimes it comes from people saying, I'm not going to give my children that experience that I had. And other times it's, I want to help my children be more prepared for the world they're going into. (laughs) So they've got some skills and some tools. And sometimes it's just something that comes up where they feel they're not fulfilled and there's a hole in their lives. Yeah. In the group, I would say is made up of a bunch of exactly what you just said. Some people are there because they didn't really have an experience with their father, right? Some had like absent father. Some had poor experiences with their father. Some had great experiences and they want to duplicate that. And so it's everybody comes from a different background, which is pretty neat because we're all then still going through the same stuff with different background. And so there's just so many different perspectives from it. One more question to ask you about that. What motivated you or inspired you to decide to commit to going to the retreat? Um, I think I've, I've always been a full immersion type learner. And so, you know, prior to the front row dad stuff, you know, I've gone to a bunch of Tony Robbins conferences and I'm always a, if I can experience it in person and kind of like, you know, be there with 100% intention and focus for whatever it is, two days, three days, four days, I'm going to get more from my time than just kind of dipping my toes in. So I feel like it wasn't a hard sell or a hard decision for me to say, I'm just going to jump in and do the retreat. And now I go, and there's two a year that members can attend. I go to both of them. And my wife is over the moon excited, like, yes, you need to go because she knows that I get so much energy from that. Oh, that's great. That's really good to hear. And that leads me into my other question, which is about Your temperament and your personality. So what you were born with and then what you developed along the way and what characteristics would you say you were born with? I'd say temperament wise, I would say it's I'm pretty innately like I lean towards positivity and it's not 
you know, I've had conversations with people that it's like, are you a morning person or a night person? And I've always kind of felt like I'm an all the time person. In other <laughs> words, I'm, I'm just excited to be around people. And, and my normal disposition is typically pretty positive. I also like in terms of temperament, like the, the thing that I uh, have recognized through doing a lot of, you know, personal work is that my gift that I didn't necessarily create, but I've definitely like honed in on has just been my level of energy. Like that's the thing that I have that I can add to any group. Uh, And that's the thing that when I'm tapping into that, I'm definitely my best self. And so just like a high level of energy for whatever is going on uh, in that moment. I think you probably had that energy level from the beginning Mm -hmm. and the positivity, like you said, but what about anything that you've added on to the way? I think you did mention a little bit about being part of this dad and business owners group that caused you to ask more questions. So that Mm -hmm. might be a pathway into what have you added on yeah. To your personality. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. I would say something that I've added on or really, you know, tried to be intentional about tapping into more is others' influence. And so I'm definitely somebody that trusts my gut. Maybe sometimes it's a detriment, but it's a, it's a strength of mine that I feel like my instincts are there. And so if I took a core value test, which is called from Taylor Protocols, CVI, and the score is basically defined as this, I know what to do, I know what to do, I know what to do next, and I know it's right. And so there's some strength that comes from that in terms of having a really strong opinion. But the negative is that it's difficult for me to allow other opinions or voices, right? And so, and I kind of talked about that. So at first, that confidence is great because it gives me the strength to take action right away and to be able to go and achieve where that I hit a cap in my leadership ability because what I wasn't doing was allowing an individual to kind of grow in their own because I was almost like bulldozing it out where it's got to be this way. And so through kind of my exposure to the idea of, hey, asking better questions and, and this person's answer over here may be different than mine, but it could be great and, and better for them than what my answer is for them. And so I would say being more open to other ideas and also not needing to be the loudest voice in the room has been something that I've, I've grown in. Mm, that's definitely a sign of maturity, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. So you did speak a little bit about coming into this dad's group and feeling like you're out of your element. But is there another time when you feel that you had kind of a cultural shock? You thought you knew everything that was around you, but then all of a sudden you were in a new context and you realized you had something new to learn. What comes to mind is just traveling. You know, I, I think obviously the, the my experience in Front Row Dads has been that. But when I think about me personally, it's like any time that I've had the opportunity to travel and, and any travel, but but specifically international travel and going to a part of the world that uh, I'm not educated on and, and they live very differently than the way that we live. And those have always been great learning experiences and opportunities for me to just open my eyes to, wow, I had no idea about, you know, fill in the blank, whatever this is. And, and it could be something as simple as you know, I think growing up, I was like, well, in Europe, it's the same as it is here. And then traveling and hearing so many different people share their opinion of Americans in the US and saying, oh, you know what? There's actually some different ways to look at it. Because growing up in the US, my parents were pretty conservative. I grew up in uh, you know, pretty middle-class white school systems. And so I grew up being you know, told one thing the entire time. So you know, it's like, oh, this has got to be truth right? This, this has to be what it is. And then being able to travel internationally and have people share their opinions of the US and, and share their opinions of the way that 
they do things, whether, you know, whether it's something like healthcare or guns or, you know, there's so many hot topics right now, but hearing different views on those and then recognizing that, hey, there's tons of different opinions and there's not necessarily truth of like, this is the way, the right way. And so I think that anytime that I've had the opportunity to travel, I always come back with more of an open mind. Yeah. Not just opinions, but also the way cultures evolve and grow into their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And I think when you experience that, when you travel, you notice that there are other ways to approach things from a completely different system that you'd never considered before. It just opens your eyes to the idea and your mind to the idea that there could be other ways to approach this. And I think it helps us to be less ethnocentric. Yeah, I agree. You know, the idea that, hey, there's multiple ways to do something and, and they all have their advantages. It doesn't have to be, oh no, you're wrong because of this. And I think that's kind of led somewhat to how you know, where society is right now, where it's like, it's so polarized. Yeah. Polarized. Exactly. Uh, In terms of where things are at people just, it's difficult for people to even engage in a conversation. Well, when you're convinced that you're right, there's no room to move other than to bulldoze everybody else. But if you seek truth, as you were mentioning before, if you're looking for the truth to something, then you, you have to be curious and interested because you're discovering it. You don't have it yet. If you think you already have the truth, there's nothing left to discover. Right. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about your book and how you're using this book, how you came to write it. Yeah. So I I was exposed to the whole idea of the dreams concept by a guy named Matthew Kelly, who's an author and a speaker. And he wrote a book on dreams and and how they have a place in corporations. uh, I don't even know, 15, 20 years ago, more than that, probably 20 years ago, probably. And he was um, our company brought him in as a keynote speaker. And so this was 2007. I made my first dreams list. And I remember feeling very alive doing it. And then it it kind of turned into one of those things that I'm sure people can relate to that I did it. And then I kind of like filed it away on my computer and didn't really look at it again for a while. And then five years later, I was moving within the organization that I was at, moving a couple states away, and I was going to start another team from scratch. And so I was trying to get really intentional about the culture that I wanted. And the, this would have been the third time I was starting a business or a team within this company. And so I had the last two experiences to learn from to say, what did I do well and what did I not do well? And so this was the last time I wanted to move. I want to say, this is the team I'm going to build for the next 20 years. So if that's the case, what's the culture that would keep me excited for a very long time? And I centered back on the idea of living the life of our dreams. So we started basically just helping people on our team create a dreams list. And it's kind of a, a thought jogging, or we call it a dream storming process where we help people to create their own dreams list. And then I basically just help people make the list. And then I just lived my dreams out loud. And it started to kind of build organically. Over the years now, we've, got, we've created a full system around this. And so... It was really on full display for me in COVID when, you know, you remember March 2020 when everything hit the fan and then April, May. And so I was doing some check-in calls with the people in our organization. Hey, how you doing? How you holding up? And I, it was all positive. I was hearing great things from our team members of like, oh, this is great. I've had so much time to go after things in my dreams list. And like that wasn't, you know, outside of my team. That's not what I was hearing from friends and family. Right. And through the the pandemic, through the first four or five months of it, our team was breaking sales records where the rest of our company was really struggling. And so it was at that moment that I was like, I guess I didn't realize the full value of the dreams concept until now in terms of engagement and certainty. And and it really provided a lot of things for our team members. So then I wrote the book on it. And the book is written in a way that any business owner or team leader should be able to take it. And it has all the answers in terms of what we do. It's not meant to be like, you know, withholding information. So it's got it all 
all, they should be able to take that and be able to set up a system centered around dreams if they want to. And so I released that last fall and I've been doing some speaking and consulting with it ever since, which has been a ton of fun. I really love this idea because it's very purpose oriented. And when people can Mm -hmm. tap into their own purpose and their own desires to achieve something and who they want to be and who they want to be known as. It's very motivating for them. They don't need other people to light the fire underneath them. They're on fire themselves. And if you have a whole culture of people who are talking about how they're achieving their dreams, I can understand why you've done so well in your company with your team. It's so rewarding for me as the leader because what I get to do now when I sit down with my team members, it's not about how much are you selling and what are you doing for the team. The conversation always starts with like, hey, talk to me about what you're going after right now on your dreams list. What's next? What are you after next? And, and the idea is that, look, if I can have a team member who's constantly pursuing anything, but pursuing things in their life, they're going to be more engaged and alive with work because now work becomes the vehicle of how I get there. Instead of the obligation of I have to go to work, it's like, I get to do this and I need to do this because I want to do this, this, and this in my personal life. Yeah. Instead of saying, so how come you haven't met your sales quota, which is like putting cold water on top of of your dreams, right? But if you say, what are you working on in your dreams list? And then the next natural question would be, and how is your work here helping you to get there? Yeah. (laughs) It's just a completely different conversation. Yeah. And what can I do to support you? And, you know, it's neat. There's a lot of organizations that think that have like a negative stigma around like PTO, like taking time off or going on vacation. I also think that a lot of leaders in organizations, you know, I know I did this. I desired to stay at the company that I grew up in because I saw people that have been there longer and I saw the lifestyle that they had. And I said, I want that. They look like they love life. They travel, they make a good income, they make an impact. And then what I found happened to me is as I started excelling and doing better and advancing, I actually started talking less about the trips I was taking and talking less about this big lifestyle that I was gaining because I felt bad. I was like, well, the people on my team probably don't have the same resources or flexibility. But what I didn't recognize is that I was diminishing their opportunity to advance and to grow here because they weren't getting to see what I was really doing in life. And once I started talking about dreams, it gave me permission to live my exciting life out loud and actually have it be a thing of support where they were like cheering me on and saying, yeah, go do that. I want my leader to do that because he's also supporting me in trying to to accomplish my dreams. Well, I think it's moving away from a materialistic approach because Mm -hmm. in a materialistic approach, you're saying, oh yeah, look at my big car and my big house and all the things I go on. And you know, that can be like, as you noted earlier, it can be discouraging Mm -hmm. to people. And also it can feel meaningless because once you've got it, where do you go from there? But your dreams can touch on all parts of your life. And um, you made me think of a supervisor that I worked with a few years ago, where one of his dreams was to be energetic and healthy at work every day. And so he bought a Fitbit and he was measuring his steps and he was talking (laughs) to his team about... I just want to make sure I get 10,000 steps and then I'll have another goal after that. And this is a team of people who empty portable toilets. So they're mostly not very inspired by their job. And they were very excited by his idea of being energetic and fit at work. And they were encouraging him. And by the end of the month, everybody else had a Fitbit and they were all talking about their next goals too. And the company has grown exponentially since they started to talk about, you know, what they wanted to do next. And it was, you know, setting a goal 
goal and moving towards it, but something that had to do with what mattered to them. Marie, it's, it's totally right. It doesn't matter the company. Like nobody comes to me and says, oh, I'm so glad I found you. My mission in life is to sell knives, right? Right. So our team is built around people that are trying to pursue their best life. And what we've been able to do is make selling knives exciting because they're in control of what they choose to do there. So it doesn't right. matter if it's emptying the porta potties, if it's cleaning bathrooms, if it's selling knives, it's, it's, if I can get somebody who's engaged in whatever the next thing is in life. When we do the dreams workshop, we actually cover nine different categories. So there's, you know, the kind of the stereotypical travel, which is like the bucket list stuff. Where do you want to go? There's the adventure. Then there's also like family and relationships. There's financial or, or career objectives in your life. There's charity, there's creative, there's spiritual. So we really try and hit there's health on every part of somebody's life. Hmm. Do you have service in there? Uh, yeah, we do. Yep. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like it's really useful and that so many people could learn from that. I'm definitely going to get my copy and read it and promote it because it sounds fabulous. So now if people want to bring out the best in you, what's something that you need to be at your best at work? For me personally, or just somebody in general? You. Uh, I thrive when I have people around. I'm great at working independently, but there's a different me when I get to be around people and I get to feed off that team. And so I've been able to, when I was younger, I wasn't good at working independently. So I've definitely grown in that and matured and just my ability to work on my own. But yeah, if there's people around and I get the opportunity to play a role on a team, I love that. I work harder as a leader because I know that there's people that are counting on me than I think I would if I were doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The people are really it for you. Yes. hundred percent. So is there anything else you'd like to say? I think the one thing I love talking about is just the idea. And I think this is needed more now than ever, but I talk about this quote in the book, but when there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. Beautiful. And what we've seen happen over the course of the last couple of years is very little hope, right? Very little certainty of, oh, I can do this in the next year, two years, because a lot of that got taken away in terms of, look, I don't know what next year is going to bring. I don't know what's going to happen. And so what I love about this, I've always believed in that quote. And since the pandemic, I think it's, it's kind of just meant something different to me that, look, I don't need to get my hope from external sources. I can create what I want to do within the next year or two years, and I can work towards those. And if I do, I have a lot of power in my day-to-day decisions. And that's really what it's after is just being alive and engaged with my everyday. I love that. I really love the quote too, where there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great quote. Do you know where that comes from? I feel like the first time I heard it was from Matthew Kelly, but I can't confirm that. So, you know, I, th- I feel like with quotes, there's like 14 different people that get cited for every quote. <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not sure where it came from, but I didn't create it myself. That's for right. Sure. But it's, it's a good one to pass along. Yes. Yes. Anything else you'd like the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast listeners to know about you or something you'd like to promote? Yeah, I guess the book, I wrote the book in the effort of, of trying to change the workplace culture that's out there today. And so at the beginning of this, year, I, I made the decision to give the book out for free for anybody who's you know excited about that potential of upgrading their team's culture. So that can be found at my website, which is just daneespagard.com forward slash free gift. And uh, there's a downloadable copy that's on there as well. And then if anybody's interested in engaging with me around the, the topic of this in general, I can be reached to my website, but also on social media and Instagram and LinkedIn are the easiest two ways as well. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure all of that information is inside the show notes. Dana, I'd like to thank you for sharing your story with us and your inspiring book. And I want to wish you all the best as the adventure of your life continues to unfold. Thank you so much, Marie. It's been a great conversation.
Dane Espegard had the benefit of starting out in a family that inspired, encouraged, and challenged him. He took his natural tendency to have a positive outlook in life and his people orientation to new heights when he started to see himself as a learner and to open himself up to the influence of others through his membership in the Front Row Dads Association. Dane's ability to take an idea to a successful outcome led him to create a system and then a book called The Dream Machine, which promotes company and team growth through a culture of conversation around how each person expresses and achieves personal dreams. I really enjoyed Dane's approach and his visionary team building focus and look forward to reading and implementing the ideas from his book in my own life and business. If you like this episode, make sure to share it with a friend and rate and review it from the place you usually listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening and may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and inspire your day. Want to show some appreciation? You can buy me a coffee. What? How do you buy a coffee for a podcast owner? Well, there's a way. Let me explain. You go to buymeacoffee.com slash Marie Gervais. That's spelled M-A-R-I-E-G-E-R-V-A-I-S. So it's buymeacoffee.com slash Marie Gervais. And when you go to that website, what's going to happen is you'll get a chance to click on one, two, three, four, or five cups of coffee at $5 a piece to help contribute to the cost of the podcast. And yes, it's $5 for a cup of coffee because it's quality coffee for a quality podcast. So I hope you will contribute and you'll help us to reduce the costs of the podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash Marie Gervais. Thank you in advance for your generous contribution.